Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic here with Melissa Heider, Senior Vice President at CA Icon. Uh, excited to talk to Melissa about not only her career path and uh, her endeavors within the CAA world, but also just how do you get into some of these types of parts of the industries that aren't your typical team, league, uh, et cetera, and, and really discover some of these types of opportunities. We'll talk about uh, Melissa's background and how she even got into it, um, which is all the, the fun stories and, and uh, you know, the, the good part of kind of what we do with the Life in the Front Office podcast. So Melissa, welcome. Thank you. So nice to be here. Good morning. You know, one of the things that I find when talking to, to different people is there's always somehow, some way, a point of connection, right? And like, you never really know what it is, but you can always find a point of connection with somebody. And if you're well-traveled enough, usually it can be a location of some sort. Um, and so you are a, a Ram and um, I spent two summers uh, playing collegiate summer ball in Fort Collins, which was probably two of the best summers of my life. Um, just absolutely love the town, great place, but you went to school there. So you started there and got a journalism degree, and now you're in the business development market. Like, explain to me how that works and like, where'd you grow up? How'd you get to CSU? Where'd you go after that? Wow. Okay. Well, I know we don't have all day, so I'll try to do the short version for you. I think the, the fun part is CSU was just part of my family tradition. And so that was just, it, my dad had played football there. Um, my brother was going there at the time and I had really two options in Colorado because I needed to stay in state. So it was CU or CSU. So that was a pretty easy choice for me and, and a fantastic choice at the time. Um, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. I'm a Colorado native through and through. So it was the perfect place for me to go. And how to get from there to here is, is a, a circuitous story, of course, but at the time, I wanted to be a magazine writer and travel the world and um, write for magazines. And nowadays that's actually called an Instagram influencer. Um, but at the time, let's be honest, I, I don't want to date myself too much, but uh, Instagram was not a thing and uh, neither was the iPhone. So um, that wasn't an option. So what I did was I got a journalism degree and after college realized that my writing endeavors and um, wanting to work for a magazine or a newspaper were fantastic, but I was going to be very poor. And so I was bartending and writing for a local magazine and doing some freelance work and realized, okay, I'm going to have to pivot a bit if I want to make this, um, you know, if I, I want to pay my bills and I want to <laughs> make rent and eat. So I went into a bunch of different areas in my, I started in the technology industry doing communications for what was then called AT&T Broadband. And 
I worked for an amazing group of people and, and in particular, an amazing woman who mentored me and pushed me in ways that I didn't know was possible. And I think she saw potential in me and just put me in positions that allowed me to be creative and to grow and really jump-started sort of my creativity and my interest in doing better and growing and learning more and being open to things I never thought I would be open to. I mean, technology project management and technology communications was not a thing on my radar. And then at the time, the technology bubble burst and I had to reinvent myself and I decided, okay, marketing is going to be the way that I'm going to get my start. But at the time, I didn't have any experience whatsoever. And so just like anybody will tell you on any of your podcasts who has gotten to a place where they are now, you have to start somewhere, right? Like you have to stuff envelopes, you have to answer phones, you have to sell tickets, you have to shoot t-shirts out of a cannon, like you have to start somewhere to get to where you want to be. And so I started in a few different temp roles. And at the time, that was a really great way to get exposure to different companies and different ways of thought and, and different industries. And um, I think the long and short of it is that I found the people that I wanted to work with. And that was the most important thing for me. And I would go into job interviews and, you know, the age old, where do you see yourself in one year, three years, five years? And everyone's supposed to say, well, here at this company and doing my best and hustling. Mine was, I just, in my heart of hearts, I just wanted to be happy. And I wanted to work with a great group of people who are all aligned in the same direction. And through talking to as many people as possible and networking and building my resume and trying different things, I landed uh, myself an interview with Tim Romani, who is still uh, my boss today, 17 years later. And um, he had no idea what, what hit him when, when he met with me and thought that he needed somebody to come in and build a brochure and a website. And he didn't need a marketing person and put me on a one month probationary period with which some days we argue I'm still in, but it has been 17 years. And, uh, it just, it was like, it, it was happened. like, a, it was another temporal, you know, one. Yeah, one, yeah, exactly. I was like, I've got this, no worries. Like it's a month, it's fine. And he just, he was starting his company at the time and had this vision of what he wanted to do with it. And I was the eighth person he brought in. I was sharing a cube with another person and he was recruiting sharing, wait, hold on. sharing a cube or sharing an <laughs> office with cubes in it. Cause we used to call those office poles. <laughs> sharing a cube is what How I was do doing. That? It's very, very intimate. And very, you're very I wouldn't be COVID close. safe nowadays, so that, that, no. that doesn't happen. <laughs> there was no social distancing whatsoever. And you just, I was like, okay, this is an interesting office situation. And we were co-located with one of his friends and we outgrew the space. When we put one of the new hires down the hall in like the janitor's closet is when we realized we needed our own office space and we were grown and needed to act like an adult company. But I mean, we had very humble beginnings and we were just trying to create a company, which was then Icon Venue Group, <clears throat> excuse me. And it was, it was brand new. It was a, his idea that he wanted to represent sports teams, owners and municipalities as they build 
new stadiums and new arenas. And he had done so for the Denver Broncos and for the Avalanche and the Nuggets. And he grew roots in Colorado and decided he wanted to give this a shot and, and build this company. And he recruited some incredible people. Um, I was the outlier, but he, he recruited people that he knew and he had worked with and decided that he wanted to take a chance and try this. And you have to always worked. have an outlier. You always have to have an outlier. That's mm -hmm. yeah, I'm definitely the outlier. But but what's interesting is obviously the new stadium, the new venue world, we'll call it, is the the exploding part of the industry, right? It's like, where's it gonna where's where's the next one? Uh where's you know whatever all-star this that and the other game like super bowl like where is it all going to be played right what do the next 10 years look like and i think the interesting part of it is not only just pro sports but it's also college sports and then mm -hmm. i'm i'm probably naive to this but it's probably even high school sports to a larger extent as well of like some of these whether it's the turf fields or the bigger stadiums or or even just creating a stadium, you know, in yeah. itself in places like Texas or, you know, California, Arizona, et cetera. And one of the things that I think would be interesting to understand from your end is, is a, like there's, there's two things, right? One is, is CAA icon as a whole. Like if you wanted to get involved in it, or even just like understand what does that industry involve from a sports perspective, right? Because you know, as you're listening to your story, like you didn't come out of school saying, Hey, I want to work in sports, right? Like that, that wasn't your thing, but here you are, you know, 17 years later, having worked on some of the, you know, iconic venues and also why I started this episode off with CSU is you getting to work on a project <laughs> at CSU, right? Like those are the coolest things to be able to do where, you know, you're then working on a brand new football stadium that was, that was much needed there. And, yeah. uh, you know, at your alma mater, right? So like, how does someone get involved in something like that part of the industry? And then if someone's listening to this and they're in a different part of the industry, but want to understand where is this area of the industry going? What do they need to know? Loaded question, I know, but. <laughs> well, I'll start small and then maybe broaden it out a little bit because one, when I was in college, this didn't exist. So I took a chance and that was, that's my personal story. But if you look in sports and you broaden that out into all of the things that go into it, even just in the venue development industry, there are so many different facets of it. So one of our recent stadiums that opened in the middle of the pandemic was Allegiant Stadium for the Las Vegas Raiders. And you look at the number of people who had a part, took part in that project, whether it was the design team, whether it was the construction team, what, I mean, you could have painted the inside of a suite and still been part of it, or you could have designed the whole thing and still been part of it. And you look at the different parts and pieces of what it takes to make a stadium like that come to life. And the options are endless. So working in sports, you know, there's the front office and of course there's incredible opportunities there, but to be able to touch all of the different venues and leagues, the options are endless. Like every single one of those companies needs an HR person. Every single one of those companies needs a marketing person. There's salespeople who not only work on 
like our side of the business from the development side, but then there's also all of the brands that are looking to be part of those integrations into stadiums. There's the salespeople who work on the team side who bring them in. There's the implementation and the design folks who are doing all of the signage and the experiential. There's the agencies that, that advertise all of the brands and their integrations with the team. And then on the development side, there's the architects, engineers, um, and all of the people who, who exist to support those groups of people and the construction teams and the consultants that do, I mean, think about the, even just the technology side of the business and what it takes to make a stadium like that run. There are so, like hundreds of people behind the scenes who are designing the way that it's going to be and then actually doing the operations of the stadiums and arenas. It's just, it's a vast, vast network of people to be involved in quote sports. Right. Well, and think about it too. They're not just designing it for this year too. Like if you're on the IT side designing, what is the network, the, the cybersecurity and the Wi-Fi going to look like in the stadium? You have to figure out like, what does 20 years from now look like and how is this going to work? Right. And, exactly. and will it work? Right. Like you got to make sure that it can probably exist within the, the structure of what will be 20 years from now which nobody knows, but you can take your best guess, right? And again, same thing on all of the things that you mentioned, fan experience, right? Um, brands, sponsorships, et cetera. Like what will those look like? And are you building out the spaces for the fan experience in the way in which we think, you know, the next 15, 20 years might look like from a fan experience perspective? I mean, in, in the world of technology, 20 is ambitious. I mean, it's usually around 10 that you've put in the, the greatest technology that ever did exist. And then 10 years later, you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, the, didn't know about 5G or didn't know about, I mean, they're talking about AR and VR and all of the apps to support the fan experience and mobile ordering and cashless. I mean, that 10 years ago, that was not a thing. So now the arenas and stadiums that were 10 years old, which shouldn't feel that old. I mean, a lot of them look brand new, but they're still having to do retrofits to accommodate for those advancements and technology. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. So when you think about where this part of the industry is going, are there, as you mentioned, like when you started out, this didn't exist. Like what doesn't exist now that might potentially exist as you think about where these venues are going? Well, I would love to tell you that I have the insight into that. And then I would be a very wealth, independently wealthy investor in that business. But <laughs> I think what I'm finding, yeah, <laughs> what I'm loving is the people and especially the young people that I'm meeting either through mentorship opportunities or job interviews are coming up with stuff that is so outside of the realm of what I can even understand at this point. I mean, I feel like a old dog that we're trying to teach new tricks when it comes to NFTs and talking about web three and the metaverse and, and all of these technological advances that to me, like, seems so far-fetched and so far out there, but these are the things that the next venue owners are talking about and the next wave of fans are talking about. So we as 
traditional, um, you know, the, the old dogs getting taught new tricks should pay attention to because those could be the next things. And, and we need to know what they are and not dismiss it as like something that's just not real. Um, you know, look at all the crypto and things that we can't even fathom right now are probably the next wave. And so being sure that we integrate those into what the new fan wants. I mean, we used to talk about making sure that we had butts and seats and we were competing with the living room big screen. And, and we're not saying that anymore because now we want people to have their phone in their hand and interact with the venue and be part of whether it's betting or, or the opportunities that exist within the venues because you have a device in your hand and understanding all of the data that goes into it, that's really next level for a lot of uh, people in the traditional design and construction world. But I do think we should be listening and we should be listening to the, the next wave of consumer interest and what they're doing and how they're engaging. And um, I think we would be wise to listen to, to the next generation yeah. for sure. When I, when I hear you talk about Web3, Metaverse, NFTs, I, I think I've gotten my head around NFTs for sure. Metaverse, I'm not exactly sure yet. And Web3, I'm just starting to hear things about. So like when you mention those, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm on board with the crypto. I'm starting to understand. I got some friends that are in the space and they're teaching me a little bit, but like uh, what, when, when you think about those things, like what's one that stood out and you're like, Oh, that makes sense. Or like, that's really interesting. I would love to tell you that they all make sense. Um. <laughs> well, not even make sense, but just like, <laughs> Oh, I can see where someone's going with this in a way. I think Not even my I had a, a little bit of an aha moment with NFTs that I, I, st I couldn't get my head around NFTs because listen, I'm old school. Like I collected the ticket stubs from all the shows I went to at Red Rocks and you know, around my office, I have the tchotchkes that used to be given away at openings and stuff. But then I start to realize that's just not how today's fan is collecting things. They don't want a pin. They don't want a brochure. They don't want a shirt. They want to have this moment that they can talk about. And I had, my aha moment was in an Uber where the driver was on a call talking to his friend about sneakers, like the latest sneakers and then the latest brands and who's making brands popular. And I'm like, is this happening right now? But that, that actually I realized these are the people that are buying NFTs. Those are the people who want to talk about this moment that they had in a venue and they're super fans. They, they're talking about sneakers. They're talking about the players who are making those sneakers popular. If they had an NFT or had they even had an opportunity to virtually visit a venue and have a moment that they could be talking about for the 30 minutes that I was in this Uber going to the airport, that's, that's the aha moment. It's not you and me who are in these venues and are like, why would somebody want to buy? <laughs> and, and that was my first reaction to yeah. NFTs. But now I'm like, oh, I get it. There's people who want them, who want to talk about them, who want to have that moment. That's the aha moment with NFTs for me.
Well, and, and at the very beginning, I talked about traveling and like just kind of you, you have these connection points, right? And like I've growing up, we our family, we went to different pockets of the country and did like baseball stadium trips. We do four at a time and we drive around and all that. And so I'm at I'm at 25 of 30, right? Like I'm 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 almost there. But here's the thing, like those are the memories, right, that I have as a kid growing up. And one would be like, oh, well look, not everybody has the ability and or the resources or the time uh, or the people in their life to go do those things. And so then if the metaverse exists where you can go visit all 30 stadiums and all venue, right? And like all these different sports every other weekend because you just log into whatever it is, right? Like that's just a totally different world, next level. You're starting to engage fans in different areas of the world, country that you're not even that aren't even in your market right and they latch on to something to your point sneakers brands players whatever it is and uh it's just kind of it's crazy across the board one thing though that as as you were talking about it was interesting because as you think about these venues right and and um the the fan experience and everything that goes into it and then you look at Allegiant, like you mentioned, or SoFi, and like just the, the as as Andy will say, five billion dollars. Like really, like how does that happen, right? So he was part of uh, you know building FedEx Forum, and like it wasn't in the bees. It was it was millions, right? And so as you look at costs of these these venues, like can you explain why they are so large now? And, and is it because of some of the things that we've been talking about in terms of what goes into it? And then is it one of those things that's like, it's gonna continue to go up or is it kind of hit its ceiling and we're, we're kind of just floating with, uh, it just all depends on what you put into it. Well, just to clarify, Allegiant Stadium was 2 billion. And so, <laughs> so far was five, Legion was two. We're still talking billions, right? I mean, it's, it's no chump change. Uh, it, yeah, we're still talking billions, which is pretty shocking, right? When yeah. we started, you know, you look at somewhere like where the Broncos play and it's 400 million. It's, you know, these days, 400 million wouldn't get you anywhere near that. And I think a lot of it, the, the the majority just, you know, kind of getting a little bit technical, but the majority of the cost in a stadium like that comes from just construction materials and specifically mm-hmm. steel is extraordinarily expensive. So to build the structure is, is a huge cost. So what you put in it absolutely drives the cost and how big it is, but like the bigger you go, it's just, you know, basic math, right? Like if you, the smaller you can make it, the less expensive it's gonna be overall, just because of physical construction costs. And, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking the talk, I don't walk that walk and do the, the physical estimations, but having been around enough to see where that inflation comes from, a lot of it is driven by inflation of construction costs and then the level of finishes that goes into it. So, you know, if you're going to put in, you know, basic vinyl tile versus marble that's been imported from Italy, you're going to have a huge cost there. And we, and let's face it, like premium 
the level of freemium has gone so drastically high in the last, say, 10 years. And then the other thing that we were talking about with technology, you used to have a technology budget of, you know, maybe $9 million to put in a big old scoreboard and some ribbon boards and you call it a day. We're talking like super infrastructure and middleware and integration and every new owner wants the biggest scoreboard. Like that's like, everyone has the biggest scoreboard until the next one opens like it is (laughs) and and then there's 4k and how many tvs can we fit in the building and all of the the mobile services that drives cost a ton and just the fan experience it it hugely drives cost but but look if you don't have a lot of really tight consultants who are working together as a team that number can get out of control really quick. And um, I think that's pretty indicative of, of what has happened on certain projects across the globe, not just in sports. But if there's not a really tight uh, grip on the budget and schedule by a, a group of people who are working in sync together, it gets out of control. Yeah, and it's one of those things like when you live in your sports world bubble, you don't realize sometimes what's going on around the world. Like, oh, by the way, we have supply chain issues. Uh, There's inflation costs. There's um, shortage of certain materials because of X, Y, and Z happening in whichever part of the world. Or um, there's certain supply and demand based on, to your point, Mm -hmm. like what things are being constructed of now as opposed to what they were constructed of in the past. And so uh, I think it's, it's one of those lessons at least I've learned, like, and this is just more my curiosity being in a, like, just a, a, we'll call it a retail investor, right? But like, you learn about all the different companies and things and the commodities that are going on around the world, stock market, et cetera, to just have a little bit of a better understanding of how things impact one another. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, oh, well, we're just going to spend more money on this stadium because we want to, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's not the, the, the whole biggest scoreboard concept is not like, oh, how much more can I spend on my stadium than someone else? That, that's never probably the thought that go, goes through. No, <laughs> no. And the way we look at it, just a very simple way to look at it is there's a few different pillars that you can't have all of. So you've got schedule. So everyone, there's always an opening event. You know, Bon Jovi isn't gonna be like, oh cool, I'll just wait a week. Or, you know, the home game isn't gonna wait a week. Like you have to hit that date. Then you have budget that is is also finite in many cases. And then you have your aspirations, whether it's you want an iconic building or whether you want it to be the most super premium place that ever did live or the biggest scoreboard that ever was. Those three things, they you can't have all three at the very height unless you have finite money, which of course then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so that's how we we look at things. And sometimes we have an owner that's like, we just need a new building that is going to make us operationally efficient, and mm-hmm. let's get it done for this price. And we we absolutely deliver that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, so you you look at a, across the venue spectrum, and you have a lot of times that you, you see where some have give and take have been on the aspirations, the budget and the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, it's, it's so interesting to learn about the different areas. And again, just kind of like even how you started out on the journalism side, right? I think everybody gets so caught up and like, oh, what am I doing right now that's going to help me in X, Y, Z? And it's like, 
you just don't know what the next five years hold. And you just, it's, it's really hard to, to say, right. And uh, I think the, going back to your, your story about the temp jobs, like, don't be afraid to take one of those. Right. I, mm-hmm. I think there's this concept of like, you mentioned Instagram, you know, being an Instagrammer and <laughs> influencer, whatever you want to call it now. Um, this, this someone who's not on social speaking, but um, you know, I think the the concept of like taking a temp job or taking another internship is like frowned upon in a way sometimes. And it's like, no, like that's where you get probably some of the best experience because you learn what you do and don't want to do, and you're not committed like that that long term right so it's you can go from one to the next figure it out and then really find that that right thing for you and you can also find something amazing with in my case I I met an incredible mentor and got experience in an industry I had no idea existed one of the people on my team right now was she was temp answering phones for us. And I just, I loved the way she worked. I loved the questions that she asked her curiosity, the, the way that she approached every day. And she's now been on my team for four plus years. I just, I had to have her. <laughs> she didn't, she didn't know anything about the industry and she wasn't in marketing or communications. And I just, I had to have her, she was trainable and here we are. There you go. So for those that are listening, that's, that's the secret sauce. It's people, right? And I think you said that back earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. but all right, to wrap up a couple, couple quick rapid fire questions, because I do have some Colorado knowledge. Um, flat irons or horse tooth? Where are you hiking? I mean, it's, of course, it's got to be horse tooth. All right. All right. <laughs> have you ever hiked horse tooth when it's raining? Cause no. I- that seems dangerous. Okay. You, Very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't mean to. You learn quickly that if you go past 12 o'clock, even if it's sunny blue skies, there's a very mm-hmm. good chance that you get stuck in a lightning storm. That's always amazing. bring a jacket. Yeah, that wasn't the case. Um, <laughs> <laughs> best, best uh, spot in Colorado. If someone is listening who's never been, where do you have to go? Red Rocks. 100%. So it's the most beautiful music venue ever. Any artist who wants to play there, it, it's like their dream. You can go there even if there's not a concert and hike up and down the stairs. There's an incredible muse- uh, museum in the visitor center where you can see all of the different artists who have played from the Beatles to the Grateful Dead to U2 to, I mean, anyone wants to be there. So it's absolutely incredible. There's any, any venue you could visit in the world, where would you go? Wow. That you haven't been to. Wow, that I haven't been to. Now I'm very, very- Maybe in the metaverse, it. you know? <laughs> wow, that's a really interesting question. I, I haven't been to any of the venues that hosted World Cup down in Brazil, and I, I would have mm. loved- to see a soccer game or a football game like in the flesh live in the world's game during the world cup like the energy that you saw on tv that would have been something that would have been very special all right what about the u.s oh in the u.s oh 
I would, wow, this one, this one's shaking me a little bit because I've been very, very fortunate to see a lot of venues, a lot of venues <laughs> that many people have not been able to see, but maybe I'll do a repeat just because that seems fair. Okay. The opening game at Providence Park was one of the coldest days. I've, I've never been more cold in my life, but never had more fun because the soccer fans for the Portland Timbers the entire time were chanting and up on their feet and everybody's united. And there was the, the most incredible game day experience. I think I'd have to do a repeat of that just because it was such a special day. And then, um, you know, any, any game at Wrigley Field, that's, I mean. Ooh, Wrigley, that's, that's a great spot, great spot. It, it holds a special place in my heart. We we um, did the restoration there and what the family did to make it a modern day venue with the old historic bones. It just, it's an incredible space. And to see the Cubs win there was as a, as a bucket list thing. Yeah. No, I, I could agree with you on Wrigley. It's just like one of those experiences you have that is not like any other in terms of the game and the fans and the environment and the the buzz around the, you can just kind of feel the energy. And then to like, to your point, kind of everything that they've built around it with, mm -hmm. um, with kind of some of the, the restaurants and the shop and the hotel across the street, like all of that, right? Really, really cool um, to see. So Melissa, really, really appreciate the time, insights, perspectives, been a great conversation and uh, appreciate having you on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Sujo Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujojuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.